0: This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, and to find out how to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Marion Brown, Toronto, Canada. The Merry Adventures of Robin Hood by Howard Pyle. Chapter 17. Robin Hood Turns Beggar. After Jolly Robin had left little John at the forking of the roads, he walked merrily onward in the mellow sunshine that shone about him. Ever and anon he would skip and leap or sing a snatch of song for pure joyousness of the day, for because of the sweetness of the springtide his heart was as lusty within him as that of a colt newly turned out to grass. Sometimes he would walk a long distance, gazing aloft at the great white swelling clouds that moved slowly across the deep blue sky anon he would stop and drink in the fulness of life and of all things for the hedgerows were budding tenderly and the grass of the meadows was waxing long and green again he would stand still and listen to the pretty song of the little birds in the thickets or hearken to the clear crow of the cock daring the sky to rain whereat he would laugh for it took but little to tickle robin's heart into merriment so he trudged manfully along ever willing to stop for this reason or for that and ever ready to chat with such merry lasses as he met now and then. So the morning slipped along, but yet he met no beggar with whom he could change clothes. Quoth he, If I do not change my luck in haste, I am like to have an empty day for it, for it is well nigh half gone already, and although I have had a merry walk through the countryside, I know naught of a beggar's life. Then after a while he began to grow hungry, Whereupon his mind turned from thoughts of springtime and flowers and birds, and dwelled upon boiled capons, malmsy, white bread and the like, with great tenderness. Quoth he to himself, I would I had Willie Winkin's wishing-coat, I know right well what I should wish for, and this it should be. Here he marked upon the fingers of his left hand, with the forefinger of his right hand, those things which he wished for. Firstly, I would have a sweet brown pie of tender larks mark ye not dry cooked but with a good sop of gravy to moisten it withal next i would have a pretty pullet fairly boiled with tender pigeon's eggs cunningly sliced garnishing the platter around with these i would have a long slim loaf of wheaten bread that hath been baked upon the hearth it should be warm from the fire with glossy brown crust the colour of the hair of mine own maid marian and this same crust should be as crisp and brittle as the thin white ice that lies across the furrows in the early winter's morning. These will do for the more solid things, but with these I must have three potties, fat and round, one full of malmsey, one of canary, and one brimming full of mine own dear lusty sack. Thus spoke Robin to himself, his mouth growing moist at the corners with the thoughts of the good things he had raised in his own mind so talking to himself he came to where the dusty road turned sharply around the hedge all tender with the green of the coming leaf and there he saw before him a stout fellow sitting upon a stile swinging his legs in idleness all about this lusty rogue dangled divers pouches and bags of different sizes and kinds a dozen or more with great wide gaping mouths like a brood of hungry daws. His coat was gathered in at his waist, and was patched with as many colours as there are stripes upon a maypole in the springtide. On his head he wore a great tall leathern cap, and across his knees rested a stout quarter-staff of blackthorn, full as long and heavy as robins. As jolly a beggar was he as ever trod the lanes and byways of Nottinghamshire, for his eyes were as grey as slate, and snapped and twinkled and danced with merriment, and his black hair curled close all over his head in little rings of kinkiness hello o good fellow quoth robin when he had come nigh to the other what art thou doing here this merry day when the flowers are peeping and the buds are swelling then the other winked one eye and straightway trolled forth in a merry voice i sit upon the stile and i sing a little while as i wait for my own true dear for the sun is shining bright and the leaves are dancing light and the little fowl sings she is near o and so it is with me bully boy saving that my doxy cometh not now that is a right sweet song quoth robin and were i in the right mind to listen to thee i could bear well to hear more but i have two things of seriousness to ask of thee so listen i prithee at this the jolly beggar cocked his head on one side like a rogue of a magpie quoth he, I am an ill jug to pour heavy things into, good friend, and if I mistake not, thou hast few serious words to spare at any time. Nay, quoth Jolly Robin, what I would say first is the most serious of all thoughts to me, to wit. Where shall I get somewhat to drink and eat? Sayest thou so, quoth the beggar? Mary, I make no such serious thoughts upon the matter. I eat when I can get it, and munch my crust when I can get no crumb." Likewise, when there is no ale to be had, I wash the dust from out my throat with a trickle of cold water. I was sitting here, as thou camest upon me, bethinking myself whether I should break my fast or no. I do love to let my hunger grow mightily keen ere I eat, for then a dry crust is as good to me as a venison pasty with suet and raisins is to stout King Harry. I have a sharp hunger upon me now, but methinks in a short while it will ripen to a right mellow appetite now in good sooth quoth Mary robin laughing thou hast a quaint tongue betwixt thy teeth but thou hast truly naught but a dry crust about thee methinks thy bags and pouches are fat and lusty of such thin fare why mayhap there is some other cold fare therein said the beggar shyly and hast thou naught to drink but cold water asked robin never so much as a drop quoth the beggar over beyond yon clump of trees is as sweet a little inn as ever thou hast lifted eyelid upon but i go not thither for they have a nasty way with me once when the good prior of emmet was dining there the landlady set a dear little tart of stewed crabs and barley-sugar upon the window-sill to cool and seeing it there and fearing it might be lost i took it with me till that i could find the owner thereof ever since then they have acted very ill toward me Yet truth bids me say That they have the best ale there That ever rolled over my tongue. At this Robin laughed aloud. Mary, quoth he, They did ill toward thee for thy kindness. But tell me truly, What hast thou in thy pouches? Why, quoth the beggar, Peeping into the mouths of his bags, I find here a goodly piece of pigeon pie, Wrapped in a cabbage-leaf to hold the gravy. Here I behold a dainty-streaked piece of brawn, And here a fair lump of white bread, here i find four oaten cakes and a cold knuckle of ham ha in sooth, 'tis strange but here i behold six eggs that must have come by accident from some poultry-yard hereabouts they are raw but roasted upon the coals and spread with a piece of butter that i see peace good friend cried robin holding up his hand thou makest my poor stomach quake with joy for what thou tellest me so sweetly If thou wilt give me to eat, I will straightway hie me to that little inn didst tell of but now, and will bring a skin of ale for thy drinking and mine. Friend, thou hast said enough, said the beggar, getting down from the stile. I will feast thee with the best that I have, and bless St. Cedric for thy company. But, sweet Chuck, I prithee bring three quarts of ale at least, one for thy drinking and two for mine. "'for my thirst is such that methinks I can drink ale "'as the sands of the river Dee drink salt water.' "'So Robin straightway left the beggar, "'who, upon his part, went to a budding lime-bush "'back of the hedge, and there spread his feast upon the grass "'and roasted his eggs upon a little faggot fire "'with a deftness gained by long labour in that line. "'After a while back came Robin bearing a goodly skin of ale "'upon his shoulder, which he laid upon the grass.' Then looking upon the feast spread upon the ground, and a fair sight it was to look upon, he slowly rubbed his hand over his stomach, for to his hungry eyes it seemed the fairest sight that he had beheld in all his life. Friend, said the beggar, let me feel the weight of that skin. Yea, truly, quoth Robin, help thyself, sweet Chuck, and meantime let me see thy pigeon pie is fresh or no.' So the one seized upon the ale, and the other upon the pigeon pie, and nothing was heard for a while but the munching of food and the gurgle of ale as it left the skin. At last, after a long time had passed thus, Robin pushed the food from him, and heaved a great sigh of deep content, for he felt as though he had been made all over anew. And now, good friend, quoth he, leaning upon one elbow, I would have it thee about that other matter of seriousness of which I spoke not long since how said the beggar reproachfully thou wouldst surely not talk of things appertaining to serious affairs upon such ale as this nay quoth robin laughing i would not check thy thirst sweet friend drink while i talk to thee thus it is i would have thee know that i have taken a liking to thy craft and would fain have a taste of a beggar's life mine own self said the beggar i marvel not that thou hast taken a liking to my manner of life good fellow but to like and to do are two matters of different sorts i tell thee friend one must serve a long apprenticeship ere one can learn to be even so much as a clapper dudgeon much less a crank or an abraham man i tell thee lad thou art too old to enter upon that which it may take thee years to catch the hang of mayhap that may be so quoth robin for i bring to mind that gaffer swanthold saying jack shoemaker maketh ill bread tom baker maketh ill shoon nevertheless i have a mind to taste a beggar's life and need but the clothing to be as good as any i tell thee fellow said the beggar if thou wert clad as sweetly as good saint winton the patron of our craft thou wouldst never make a beggar Mary, the first jolly traveller that thou wouldst meet, would beat thee to a pudding for thrusting thy nose into a craft that belongeth not to thee. Nevertheless, quoth Robin, I would have a try at it, and methinks I shall change clothes with thee, for thy garb seems to be pretty, not to say gay. So not only will I change clothes, but I will give thee two golden angels to boot. I have brought my stout staff with me, thinking that I might have to wrap some one of the brethren of thy cloth over the head, by way of argument in this matter, but I love thee so much for the feast thou hast given me, that I would not lift even my little finger against thee, so thou needst not have a crumb of fear. To this the beggar listened, with his knuckles resting upon his hips. And when Robin had ended, he cocked his head on one side, and thrust his tongue into his cheek. Mary, come up, quoth he at last, lift thy finger against me, forsooth. Art thou out of thy wits, man? My name is Raccoon Hazel, and I come from the holy well in Flintshire over by the river Dee. I tell thee, knave, I have cracked the head of many a better man than thou art, and even now I would scald thy crown for thee but for the ale thou hast given me. Now thou shalt not have so much as one tag-rag of my coat, even could it save thee from hanging. Now, fellow, said Robin, it would ill suit me to spoil thy pretty head for thee, but I tell thee plainly, that but for this feast i would do that to thee would stop thy travelling the country for many a day to come keep thy lips shut lad or thy luck will tumble out thy mouth with thy speech now out and alas for thee man for thou hast bred thyself ill this day cried the beggar rising and taking up his staff take up thy club and defend thyself fellow for i will not only beat thee but i will take from thee thy money and give thee not so much as a clipped groat to buy thyself a lump of goose grease to rub thy cracked crown withal so defend thyself i say then up leaped merry robin and snatched up his staff also take my money if thou canst quoth he i promise freely to give thee every farthing if thou dost touch me and he twirled his staff in his fingers till it whistled again then the beggar swung his staff also, and struck a mighty blow at Robin, which the yeoman turned. Three blows the beggar struck, yet never one touched so much as a hair of Robin's head. Then stout Robin saw his chance, and ere he could count three, Raccoon's staff was over the hedge, and Raccoon himself lay upon the green grass with no more motion than you could find in an empty pudding-bag. How now, quoth Mary Robin, laughing, wilt thou have my hide or my money, sweet Chuck? but to this the other answered never a word. Then Robin, seeing his plight, and that he was stunned with the blow, ran still laughing, and brought the skin of ale and poured some of it on the beggar's head and some down his throat, so that presently he opened his eyes and looked around as though wondering why he lay upon his back. Then Robin, seeing that he had somewhat gathered the wits that had just been wrapped out of his head, said, "'Now, good fellow, wilt thou change clothes with me, or shall I have to tap thee again?' here are two golden angels, if thou wilt give me freely all thy rags and bags and thy cap and things. If thou givest them not freely, I much fear me, I shall have to. And he looked up and down his staff. Then Raccoon sat up, and rubbed the bump on his crown. Now out upon it, quoth he, I did think to drub thee sweetly, fellow. I know not how it is, but I seem, as it were, to have brought more beer than I can drink. If I must give up my clothes, I must.' but first promise me by thy word as a true yeoman that thou wilt take naught from me but my clothes i promise on the word of a true yeoman quoth robin thinking that the fellow had a few pennies that he would save thereupon the beggar drew a little knife that hung at his side and ripping up the lining of his coat drew thence ten bright golden pounds which he laid upon the ground beside him with a cunning wink at robin now thou mayest have my clothes and welcome said he and thou mightest have had them in exchange for thine without the cost of a single farthing far less two golden angels mary quoth robin laughing thou art a sly fellow and i tell thee truly had i known thou had so much money by thee maybe thou mightst not have carried it away for i warrant thou didst not come honestly by it then each stripped off his clothes and put on those of the other and as lusty a beggar was robin hood as e'er you could find of a summer's day but stout raccoon of Holywell skipped and leaped and danced for joy of the fair suit of Lincoln green that he had so gotten. Quoth he, "I'm a gay feathered bird now. Truly, my dear Mal Pescod would never know me in this dress. Thou mayest keep the cold pieces of the feast, friend, for I mean to live well and lustily while my money lasts and my clothes are gay." So he turned and left Robin, and crossing the stile was gone. But Robin heard him singing from beyond the hedge as he strode away. "'for Polly is smiling and Molly is glad "'when the beggar comes in at the door, "'and Jack and Dick call him a fine lusty lad "'and the hostess runs up a great score. "'Then hey, Willie Waddykin, stay, Billy Waddykin, "'let the brown ale flow free, flow free. "'That's the beggar, the man for me.' "'Robin listened till the song ended in the distance, "'then he also crossed the stile into the road, "'but turned his toes away from where the beggar had gone. "'The road led up a gentle hill,' And up the hill Robin walked, a half score or more of bags dangling about his legs. Onward he strolled for a long time, but other adventure he found not. The road was bare of all else but himself, as he went kicking up little clouds of dust at each footstep, for it was noontide, the most peaceful time of all the day, next to twilight. All the earth was silent in the restfulness of eating time the plough-horses stood in the furrow munching with great bags over their noses holding sweet food the ploughman sat under the hedge and the ploughboy also and they too were munching each one holding a great piece of bread in one fist and a great piece of cheese in the other so robin with all the empty road to himself strode along whistling merrily his bags and pouches bobbing and dangling at his thighs at last he came to where a little grass-grown path left the road and passing through a stile and down a hill, led into a little dell, and on across a rill in the valley, and up the hill on the other side, till it reached a windmill that stood on the cap of the rise where the wind bent the trees in swaying motion. Robin looked at the spot and liked it, and for no reason but that his fancy led him, he took the little path and walked down the grassy, sunny slope of the open meadow, and so came to little Dingle, and ere he knew it upon four lusty fellows that sat with legs outstretched around a goodly feast spread upon the ground four merry beggars were they and each had slung about his neck a little board that rested upon his breast one board had written upon it i am blind another i am deaf another i am dumb and the fourth pity the lame one But although all these troubles written upon the board seemed so grievous, the four stout fellows sat around feasting, as merrily as though Cain's wife had never opened the pottle that held misfortunes, and let them forth like a cloud of flies to pester us. The deaf man was the first to hear Robin, for he said, Hark, brothers, I hear someone coming. And the blind man was the first to see him, for he said, He is an honest man, brothers, and one of like craft to ourselves then the dumb man called to him in a great voice and said welcome brother come and sit while there is still some of the feast left and a little malmsey in the pottle at this the lame man who had taken off his wooden leg and unstrapped his own leg and was sitting with it stretched out upon the grass so as to rest it made room for robin among them we are glad to see thee brother said he holding out the flask of malmsey mary quoth robin laughing and weighing the flask in his hands ere he drank methinks it is no more than seemly of all of you to be glad to see me seeing that i bring sight to the blind speech to the dumb hearing to the deaf and such a lusty leg to a lame man i drink to your happiness brothers as i may not drink to your health seeing ye are already hail wind and limb at this all grinned and the blind beggar who was the chief man among them and was the broadest shoulders and most lusty rascal of all smote robin upon the shoulder swearing he was a right merry wag. Whence comest thou, lad? asked the dumb man. Why, quoth Robin, I came this morning from sleeping overnight in Sherwood. Is it even so? said the deaf man. I would not for all the money we for are carrying to Lincolntown sleep one night in Sherwood. If Robin Hood caught one of our trade in his woodlands, he would, methinks, clip his ears. Methinks he would too, quoth Robin, laughing, but what money is this that ye speak of? Then up spake the lame man. Our King, Peter of York, said he, hath sent us to Lincoln with those moneys that—' Stay, brother Hodge,' quoth the blind man, breaking into the talk. I would not doubt our brother here, but bear in mind we know him not. What art thou, brother? Upright man, jerk man, clapper dungeon, domerer, or abraham man? At these words Robin looked from one man to the other with mouth agape. Truly, quoth he, I trust that I am an upright man, at least, I strive to be— but I know not what thou meanst by such jargon, brother. It were much more seemly, methinks, if yon dumb man, who hath a street voice, would give us a song. At these words a silence fell on all, and after a while the blind man spoke again. Quoth he, Thou dost surely jest when thou sayest that thou dost not understand such words. Answer me this. Hast thou ever fibbed a chouse quarons in the roam-pad for the lure and his bung?" now out upon it quoth robin hood testily "and ye make sport of me by pattering such gibberish it will be ill for all of you i can tell i have the best part of a mind to crack the heads of all four of you and would do so too but for the sweet malmsey ye have given me brother pass the pottle lest it grow cold but all the four beggars leaped to their feet when robin had done speaking and the blind man snatched up a heavy knotted cudgel that lay beside him on the grass as did the others likewise Then Robin, seeing that things were like to go ill with him, albeit he knew not what all the coil was about, leaped to his feet also, and catching up his trusty staff, clapped his back against the tree, and stood upon his guard against them. How now, cried he, twirling his staff betwixt his fingers, would you four stout fellows set upon one man? Stand back, ye rascals, or I will score your pates till they have had as many marks upon them as a pot-house door. Are ye mad? I have done you no harm.' thou liest quoth the one who pretended to be blind and who being the lustiest villain was the leader of the others thou liest for thou hast come upon us as a vile spy but thine ears have heard too much for thy body's good and thou goest not forth from this place unless thou goest feet foremost for this day thou shalt die come brothers all together down with him then whirling up his cudgel he rushed upon robin as an angry bull rushes with a red rag but Robin was ready for any happening. Crick! Crack! He struck two blows as quick as a wink, and down went the blind man, rolling over and over upon the grass. At this the others bore back and stood at a little distance scowling upon Robin. Come on, ye scum, cried he merrily. Here be cakes and ale for all. Now who will be next served? To this speech the beggars answered never a word, but they looked at Robin as great Blunderbore looked upon Stout Jack, the slayer of giants, as though they would fain eat him, body and bones. Nevertheless, they did not care to come nigher to him and to his terrible staff. Then, seeing them so hesitate, Robin of a sudden leaped upon them, striking even as he leaped. Down went the dumb man, and away flew his cudgel from his hand as he fell. At this, the others ducked to avoid another blow, then taking to their heels, scampered, the one one way, and the other the other, as though they had the West Wind's boots upon their feet. Robin looked after them laughing, and thought that never had he seen so fleet a runner as the lame man, but neither of the beggars stopped nor turned around, for each felt in his mind the wind of Robin's cudgel about his ears. Then Robin turned to the two stout knaves lying upon the ground. Quoth he, These fellows spake somewhat about certain monies they were taking to Lincoln. Methinks I may find it upon this stout blind fellow, who hath as keen sight as e'er a trained woodsman in Nottingham, or Yorkshire— it were a pity to let sound money stay in the pockets of such thieving knaves. So saying, he stooped over the burly rascal, and searched among his rags and tatters, till presently his fingers felt a leathern pouch, slung around his body beneath his patched and tattered coat. Then he stripped away, and weighing it in his hands, bethought himself that it was mighty heavy. It were a sweet thing, said he to himself, if this were filled with gold instead of copper pence then sitting down upon the grass he opened the pocket and looked into it. There he found four round rolls wrapped up in dressed sheepskin. One of these rolls he opened, then his mouth gaped and his eyes stared. I wot as though they would never close again, for what did he see but fifty pounds of bright golden money. He opened the other pockets and found in each one the same fifty bright new stamped golden pounds. Quoth Robin, "'I have oft heard that the beggar's guild was overly rich,' but never did i think that they sent such sums as this to their treasury i shall take it with me for it will be better used for charity and the good of my merry band than in the enriching of such knaves as these so saying he rolled up the money in the sheepskin again and putting it back in the purse he thrust the pouch into his own bosom then taking up the flask of malmsey he held it toward the two fellows lying on the grass and quoth he sweet friends i drink your health and thank you dearly for what ye have so given me this day and so i wish you good den then taking up his staff he left the spot and went merrily on his way but when the two stout beggars that had been wrapped upon the head roused themselves and sat up and when the others had gotten over their fright and come back they were as sad and woebegone as four frogs in dry weather for two of them had cracked crowns their momsy was all gone and they had not so much as a farthing to cross their palms withal but after robin left the little dell he strode along merrily singing as he went and so blithe was he and such a stout beggar and withal so fresh and clean that every merry lass he met had a sweet word for him and felt no fear while the very dogs that most times hate the sight of a beggar snuffed at his legs in friendly wise and wagged their tails pleasantly for dogs know an honest man by his smell, and an honest man Robin was, in his own way. Thus he went along till at last he had come to the wayside cross nigh Allerton, and being somewhat tired he sat down to rest upon the grassy bank in front of it. It groweth nigh time, quoth he to himself, that I were getting back again to Sherwood, yet it would please me well to have one more merry adventure, ere I go back again to my jolly band." So he looked up the road and down the road to see who might come, until at last he saw someone drawing near, riding upon a horse. When the traveller came nigh enough for him to see well, Robin laughed, for a strange enough figure he cut. He was a thin, wizened man, and to look upon him you could not tell whether he was thirty years old or sixty. So dried up was he even to skin and bone as for the nag it was as thin as the rider and both looked as though they had been baked in mother huddle's oven where folk are dried up so that they live forever but although robin laughed at the droll sight he knew the wayfarer to be a certain rich corn-engrocer of worksop who more than once had brought all the grain in the countryside and held it till it reached even famine prices thus making much money from the needs of poor people and for this he was hated far and near by everyone that knew aught of him So after a while the corning-grocer came riding up to where Robin sat, whereupon Merry Robin stepped straightway forth in all his rags and tatters, his bags and pouches dangling about him, and laid his hand upon the horse's bridle rein, calling upon the other to stop. "'Who art thou fellow that doth dare to stop me thus upon the king's highway?' said the lean man in a dry, sour voice. "'Pity a poor beggar,' quoth Robin, "'give me but a farthing to buy me a piece of bread,' now out upon thee snarled the other such sturdy rogues as thou art are better safe in the prisons or dancing upon nothing with a hempen collar about the neck than strolling the highway so freely tut quoth robin how thou talkest thou and i are brothers man do we not both take from the poor people that which they can ill spare do we not make our livings by doing naught of any good do we not both live without touching palm to honest work have we either of us ever rubbed thumbs over honestly gained farthings go to we are brothers i say only thou art rich and i am poor wherefore i prithee once more give me a penny dost thou prate so to me sirrah cried the corn and grocer in a rage now i will have thee soundly whipped if ever i catch thee in any town where the law can lay hold of thee as for giving thee a penny i swear to thee that i have not so much as a single groat in my purse Were Robin Hood himself to take me, he might search me from crown to heel, without finding the smallest piece of money upon me. I trust I am too sly to travel so nigh to Sherwood with money in my pouch, and that thief at large in the woods. Then Mary Robin looked up and down, as if to see that there was no one nigh. Then coming close to the corn and grocer, he stood on tiptoe, and spake in his ear, Thinkest thou in sooth that I am a beggar, as I seem to be? look upon me there is not a grain of dirt upon my hands or my face or my body didst thou ever see a beggar so i tell thee i am as honest a man as thou art look friend here he took the purse of money from his breast and showed to the dazzled eyes of the corn engrosser the bright golden pieces friend these rags serve but to hide an honest rich man from the eyes of robin hood put up thy money lad cried the other quickly art thou a fool to trust to beggar's rags to shield thee from robin hood if he caught thee he would strip thee to the skin for he hates a lusty beggar as he doth a fat priest or those of my kind is it indeed so quoth robin had i known this mayhap i had not come hereabouts in this garb but i must go forward now as much depends upon my journeying where goest thou friend i go to grantham said the corn and grocer but I shall lodge to-night at Newark, if I can get so far upon my way. Why, I myself am on the way to Newark, quoth Mary Robin, so that as two honest men are better than one, in roads beset by such a fellow as this Robin Hood, I will jog along with thee, if thou hast no dislike to my company. Why, as thou art an honest fellow and a rich fellow, said the corn and grocer, I mind not thy company, but in sooth I have no great fondness for beggars then forward, quoth Robin, for the day wanes, and it will be dark ere we reach Newark. So off they went, the lean horse hobbling along as before, and Robin running beside, albeit he was so quaking with laughter within him that he could hardly stand. Yet he dared not laugh aloud, lest the corn and grocer should suspect something. So they travelled along till they reached a hill just on the outskirts of Sherwood. Here the lean man checked his lean horse into a walk, for the road was steep, and he wished to save the nag's strength, having far to go ere he reached Newark. Then he turned in his saddle and spake to Robin again, for the first time since they had left the cross. Here is thy greatest danger, friend, said he, for here we are nighest to that vile thief Robin Hood and the place where he dwells. Beyond this we come again to the open honest country and are more safe in our journeying. Alas, quoth Robin, I would that I had as little money by me as thou hast for this day i fear that robin hood will get every groat of my wealth then the other looked at robin and winked cunningly quoth he i tell thee friend that i have nigh as much by me as thou hast but it is hidden so that never a knave in sherwood would find it thou dost surely jest quoth robin how could one hide so much as two hundred pounds upon his person now as thou art so honest a fellow and withal so much younger than i am i will tell thee what i have told to no man in all the world before and thus thou mayest learn never again to do such a foolish thing as to trust to beggar's garb to guard thee against robin hood seest thou these clogs upon my feet yea quoth robin laughing truly they are large enough for any man to see even were his sight as foggy as that of peter patter who never could see when it was time to go to work peace friend said the corn and grocer, for this is no matter for jesting the soles of these clogs are not what they seem to be for each one is a sweet little box and by twisting the second nail from the toe the upper of the shoe and part of the sole lifts up like a lid and in the spaces within are four score and ten bright golden pounds in each shoe all wrapped in hair to keep them from clinking and so telling tales of themselves when the corn and grocer had told this robin broke into a roar of laughter and laying his hands upon the bridle rein, stopped the sad-looking nag stay good friend quoth he between bursts of merriment thou art the slyest old fox that e'er i saw in all my life in the soles of his shoon quoth a if ever i trust a poor seeming man again shave my head and paint it blue a corn factor a horse-jockey an estate agent and a jackdaw for cunningness say i and he laughed again till he shook in his shoes with mirth all this time the corn and grocer had been staring at robin his mouth agape with wonder art thou mad quoth he to talk in this way so loud and in such a place let us forward and save thy mirth till we are safe and sound at newark nay quoth robin the tears of merriment wet on his cheeks on second thoughts i go no farther than here for i have good friends hereabouts thou mayest go forward if thou dost list thou sweet pretty fellow but thou must go forward barefoot for i am afraid that thy shoon must be left behind off with them friend for i tell thee i have taken a great fancy to them at these words the corn factor grew pale as a linen napkin who art thou that talkest so said he then merry robin laughed again and quoth he men hereabouts call me robin hood so sweet friend thou hadst best do my bidding and give me thy shoes wherefore hasten i prithee or else thou wilt not get to fair Newark town till after dark at the sound of the name of robin hood the corn factor quaked with fear so that he had to seize his horse by the mane to save himself from falling off its back then straightway and without more words he stripped off his clogs and let them fall upon the road. Robin, still holding the bridle-rein, stooped and picked them up. Then he said, Sweet friend, I am used to ask those that I have dealing with to come and feast at Sherwood with me. I will not ask thee because of our pleasant journey together, for I tell thee there will be those in Sherwood that would not be so gentle with thee as I have been. The name of corn and grocer leaves a nasty taste upon the tongue of all honest men take a fool's advice of me and come no more so nigh to sherwood or mayhap some day thou mayest, of a sudden find a clothyard shaft between thy ribs so with this i give thee good den hereupon he clapped his hand to the horse's flank and off went nag and rider but the man's face was all bedewed with the sweat of fright and never again i wot was he found so close to sherwood forest as he had been this day Robin stood and looked after him, and when he was fairly gone, turned, laughing, and entered the forest, carrying the shoes in his hand. That night in sweet Sherwood the red fires glowed brightly in wavering light on tree and bush, and all around sat or lay the stout fellows of the band to hear Robin Hood and Little John tell their adventures. All listened closely, and again and again the woods rang with shouts of laughter. When all was told, Friar Tuck spoke up. "'Good master,' said he, "'thou hast had a pretty time.' But still I hold to my saying, that the life of the barefoot friar is the merrier of the two. Nay, quoth Will Stutley, I hold with our master, that he hath had the pleasanter doings of the two, for he hath had two stout bouts at quarter-staff this day. So some of the band held with Robin Hood, and some with Little John. As for me, I think, but I leave it with you to say for yourselves, which you hold with. End of chapter 17